All right, Ernie, welcome to the pod, bud. Hey, thanks for having me. Really, uh, really excited to be here. So the listeners, you know, we asked a bunch of different questions, right? Or we we, we put a, a question out to the to the audience. Guess what the number one question was? How do I work part time? <laughs> no, that that actually was. I just I'm really only caring about my question, yeah. and so. My question is, is the tractor real? Do you actually drive a tractor around? And did you just drop your son off with a tractor? I didn't drop him off. Let me see. If, I don't know if you're going to be able to see this. The tractor's right there. <gasps> it's that's, real. It's real. It's not, that's not AI. That's, that's a real tractor. It's a real silo. The farming is a little, might be a little bit more fake, but I, I have the stuff that makes it look like I farm. So, Ernie, that is, you have no idea. So I've been saying since like, I don't know, since I was a kid and realized that, wow, like I'll have ambitions. My ambition's always been to just be able to have a tractor yeah. and I still <laughs> don't have it. <laughs> yeah. The, the farm is really just an excuse to to buy a tractor and make it seem like it's not just a, a fun purchase. So, Oh my God. I'm so jealous. So listen, so I think, I think the overwhelming theme of this episode is going to be the fact, and you're going to kill me for saying it this way because yeah. you're a little bit too... You're a little bit too humble. So I know like if, yeah, I know you're probably going to be like, ugh. Uh, but what, what the overwhelming theme with you is, is people like you did not used to be in the freelance economy or it was very rare. It yeah. was usually, you know, instead of being a partner or after being a partner, retirement meant, you know, Ernie Limited, right? Or yeah, Ernie yeah. LLC. That's not the case. Now, like you mentioned, you just dropped your kid off at school you're in the middle of, of your career. You had experience in top logos, top brands, and you've decided to go part-time. Mm -hmm. So I think that's going to be the overwhelming theme. And one of the things that I'm most excited about with the freelance economy is just seeing this trend now. I call it the push to fractional. Yeah. But so let's, can we just hit like yourself, like before yeah. Ernie pre-tractor, what, what yeah. is that life? Give me the journey. Yeah. What was that life even like? Um, so yeah, I, I think kind of the beginning of it's pretty traditional, right? I went to school for computer science. Um, <clears throat> I actually, right after graduation, I started a startup sort of unintentionally. Uh, my friends looped me into it and we got into YC. So I was like, all right, I guess I got to try this. Um, it was a really cool experience, but it just wasn't for me personally at the time. Uh, so went off and did kind of a more straightforward career as an engineer. Um, most of my career was at HubSpot. Um, and as an engineer, engineering leader, product leader, uh, and I did a little stint at Brex. The inflection point really comes about a year and a half into the pandemic. I, I love my career. I had really good balance. I was always good at setting boundaries, not working too much. Um, but I burnt out, uh, and it wasn't, like I said, from working too much, it was, I couldn't do remote as a manager, as like a person. I just couldn't do remote. I'm a huge proponent of remote work. I love it. But as an extrovert, as someone who just needed to see people every day in a new, just starting a small, you know, young family, moving, you know, moving states from Boston to New Jersey, like it was so much change in my life uh, at one time. I just like couldn't do it. So my wife was nice enough. She was, she was still working. We had savings. She's like, all right, just quit. Just figure things out. Um, so I started the farm as just kind of a thing to do with my family. Um, and then And then kind of two things happened professionally that were really interesting. You know, I definitely took a break a little bit. Um, one, when I left my job, uh, at Brex as an engineering manager, my manager was like, Hey, just stay on. Can you work hourly as like a developer advocate? Just like, just help us out. And I think he was just trying to keep me in the loop. I was like, sure. Still make some income, work as little or as much as I want. So that was really cool. And then, uh, last June, um, a former coworker brought me in on a consulting engagement. So I was the fractional interim head of engineering for a startup that had a leadership gap. And in six months. Uh, I was really able to help them steady the ship and find their next leader. And I think, you know, what I say is I left them in a much better place than when I got there. Uh, and it was fantastic for me to get some work, continue my career and end that engagement before my baby was, my second child was born. Right. Um, so that was kind of the, the arc there. And, you know, I kind of found myself saying a few months ago, like, I don't, you know, unless I found this, you know, job or company that I couldn't say no to, like, I don't think I can see myself going back to a quote unquote normal full-time job. Um, so kind of like you're pointing out, um, 
you know, I, I started this newsletter, part-time tech to just kind of explore this space. Cause you know, my whole thing is like, I'm not special. There's a lot of people like me and I've talked to them. They're my friends, they're coworkers, you know, just people on the internet. Um, I'm not special. I think there's a lot of people like me and I've talked to a lot of them. I'm sure you've talked to a lot of them. Um, so I think there is this wave, not just from people wanting to work this way, but then employers realizing, oh, you know what, actually th this might be a good way to work with some of the top talented people as well, even if we can't get them full-time. Um, there's a really good case for why this is good for companies. So that's uh, in a not so small nutshell, kind of my arc to where I am today. So, so dive into that, right? Yeah. So this might be the best way to access people like yourself and top talent. Keep Keep going, keep going on that. Yeah, so maybe a good way to illustrate this is when my former coworker reached out to me about this gig last year started, he's like, hey, I got this you know, job, there's this need that we have at this company. We don't need someone full-time yet. There's not a lot of people, it seems like there's not a lot of people that fit that bill and I know you don't wanna work full-time, this might be perfect. I was like, yes. I was not in the job market at all. I was thinking about businesses to run by myself, I was, pulling weeds in the summer. I was spending some time with my family. I was, you know, wrapping up that hourly gig, you know, just a lot of things. I, I started volunteering, right? So like all those things in total were really important to me. So a full-time job was not gonna, it was just not on the radar, but they were able to find me. And I was the, frankly, I was the perfect fit for what they needed. My experience matched everything perfectly. And, you know, I think where that company was, it would have been hard for them to find someone full-time that matched that criteria, but I helped them get to a place where they could find that next person. So, you know, I, I think there's this huge thing about, you know, the, the best people are often not looking for a job or they have a job already. Right. And the people who are going to, um, who can be effective in a, in a more limited amount of time uh, or freelancing are sometimes the best people. Um, so really, I, I think it's about access. Um, and then one other thing, kind of a, a different angle I'll kind of touch on is um, a, a big segment of people that resonate with my newsletter are really parents and especially parents with young kids. Because you, every parent knows once you have your first kid or second kid, like you have that decision point. It's like, okay, how am I going to balance raising my kids with my career? Yes, of course, like if you have the means, you can send your kid to daycare. But it, it's often it's not even that cut and dry, right? Because like they they sometimes need care afterwards, right? Or like you got work engagements later or, you know, if both parents are working or whatever, like it, it's a lot of work for a lot of parents. A lot of them, what they want to do is have more flexibility when their kids are younger. And there's I'm seeing that really resonate where freelancing or part time kind of engagements are actually the perfect bridge right? Some moms, especially if you're nursing, you're, you're, you're pumping, you're breastfeeding. It's like, that sucks. Right. And like trying to do that while you're on zooms or even, in, you know, especially in person, some parents need a little bit of a longer break or a way to do kind of both without leaving the workforce altogether. Right. Which can be really tough. So just seeing so many different angles and reasons why the best talent can be found actually off the beaten path a little bit. Uh, and I've been having a lot of fun really exploring all the different ways that, uh, this is beneficial to both employers and employees alike. So, so you bring up so many interesting points and parallels that I think, you know, I've, I've been in it for 10 years kind of because I had to, and then it made sense. So I never left it. Yeah. And one of the points you bring up is the parenting aspect. So it's, it's really interesting. Who would, who would you assume makes the best technical project manager? Like if you had to, well, okay, I, I'm kind of asking you a ridiculous question. So I'll just yeah. tell you. So <laughs> the best product, product, product and project managers I've ever worked with in my life were usually mothers in the Midwest. And they were uh -huh. usually between the ages of 35 and 50 mm -hmm. because the kids had kind of already gone to college or high school, or they were like you mentioned in that bridge and they were VPs but then they had to choose and like most good people they choose their kids and mm -hmm. so i love that you bring up the point the second thing well the second thing that you also brought up was that this isn't about you trying to make as much money as possible or taking on too much responsibility this is about you being able to put the org in their best position yeah. and it's it's a win-win for both sides. I think that's very important because a lot of times, you know, leaders think, wow, they have five different, you know, gigs, five different clients, 
and they're just trying to take my money and run. And it's like, no, 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 that's, that's not the case. But the last part you brought up is the best people aren't looking for a job. So this is such an interesting point because I feel like we've kind of been trained as a society that if you're looking for work, it means you're unemployed. Mm -hmm. When you find the best of freelancers, what you realize is they're all quote unquote booked, but if it's the right opportunity, they'll find a way to make space and they'll find a way to transition into making space or do what's best for the client. Yes. It's so interesting. So what would, would you have stayed at Brex or HubSpot if there was a freelance option or a part-time option? I think it would have definitely been a, 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 a big likelihood I would have stayed on. Um, and if there was a way more flexible option for sure. Um, I, I also say what I tell people is that if the pandemic never happened, I would, I would still probably be at HubSpot. I would have been there a decade. Right. Um, I, I think again, I love remote work and, and I have a lot of thoughts on it, but like, I loved my job in person and like that just energized me every single day. I was fortunate enough. I didn't have a big commute, but the pandemic just changed the calculus for a lot of people. Right. Uh, and being remote just changed a lot of everything. And then to be fair, I had, uh, I had my first uh, kid right before the pandemic. So that changed things as well. But <laughs> yeah, like when you, when you think about retention, like I think part-time is a huge thing. Um, you know, I, this is a, this is an article I want to write also, but the amount of friends I talked to who are like, please lay me off. I would love a severance package so I could take six months and then and another thing. Now, granted, it's a privileged place to be, to know that you think you can get another job and all that. Uh, goes without saying, I guess, but yeah, there's so many people like that. And it's like, what if we were more proactive about how we think about that as employers and like benefits and like, in my opinion, the the biggest thing we're missing about remote work is that it's less about the work. Sometimes it's more about what it changes for people's lives as a whole. You know, what I say to to friends is like remote work made work worse for me, but it made my life better. Um, So I think that's, you know, when you're really thinking from the company angle, like how do you retain people? How do you keep people engaged and loyal? Those kinds of things. Like, yeah, I, I think we, we should really think about the, kind of the t- totality of these people, not just you are a resource, you know, doing things for me. So Dude, keep, please keep going on that. So I think the remote work, it made work worse, but life different. And one thing, like I'd mentioned where I'm so biased is I only know the freelance economy. So the idea of even like putting my leader hat on the idea of having to open up a rec Mm. to get an internal headcount is insanity to me. The idea of having to go to the office is insanity to me. So a lot of the norms to me, I've just, I've defaulted this way, but you have such a fresh perspective because, and I think what I really want to make sure you listeners, you keep hearing is that you loved your job. This wasn't like a, I hate my job, blades of glory. I'm going to go quit. Yeah, F yeah. my employer, right? Like this is not the case. You you are the the perfect example of yeah, you yeah. want this person as your VP, as your director, but they want flexibility. So how do we meet in the middle? And sort of this is where the friends company fits. So so keep going. So remote work made work worse. Yeah, but definitely life better. <clears throat> yeah, I can dig in. Like and just just elaborate on the point you just made. Like I'm not <clears throat> one of those people that's on like Reddit anti work and like stick it to the man and like. You know, I just want to like, you know, I don't want to do anything like, no, I, I, I genuinely like work. It's just, I found all these other things in my life that, well, I didn't find them. I, I always knew they were more important. And then I was able to find space to make those things more important while still working on my career. Um, yeah. The, the other, you know, you kind of also mentioned like, <clears throat> um, you know, the idea of opening up the rec and doing all this, it's crazy. And it's like, yeah, like you think about the way we hire in tech companies, like we have recruiting orgs, we have all these functions that kind of support interviewing, hiring, and it's really expensive. And not saying that we shouldn't have any of those things. Like obviously we need full-time employees as well, but a lot of what has happened in, you know, and I specifically have the lens of tech is like, people are just kingdom building, right? People know like within it's like managers fight. Hey, I can't accomplish my goals. Oh, that's just because I need more headcount. And then it's a jockeying for position. I need, I need that number on that spreadsheet to be four more than it was last quarter. And the only reason we didn't hit our goals is because we just don't have enough people. And what I think that kind of, you know, and sometimes that obviously is the case, but I think what that leads to is, is sort of a laziness within companies where you think the only way to solve problems is with more people. And, you know, for the engineers out there, you know, if you know the mythical man month, it's basically the fallacy that more people makes you more productive. Um, that, that just, that's not always the case. 
Um, and when, what I've started to see now on, on, on sort of the other side is like, man, there were so many moments in my career and my companies and the way we worked. I'm like, we should have found a, a different way to hire those people. I waited months and quarters and quarters for my director to try to, you know, develop a rec, you know, figure out the pipeline, work with recruiting, gather interviewers and try to hire this person. And we just waited and waited and waited. I was like, wow, there were probably thousands of contractors or freelancers who are experts on this that we could have gotten within a few weeks that could have helped us through that. As we built up, maybe if we wanted this to be a longer core part of our business, then we could have gone in parallel, found someone full-time and that person could have helped us find that person as well. Right. So yeah, just the way we, it's just not a tool, at least within the tech industry, it's not a tool in the toolbox I've noticed in a lot of companies and definitely in the companies I, I've been at. Um, yeah. So I, I just think, I, I, I think I kind of went off on a different tangent than what you asked me, but I, yeah, I, I just don't see it being used to its maximum. And there's so many great people that are willing to work this way, you know, like myself, I'm not that I'm saying I'm great, but there are people like myself on the bench, ready to go um, to help companies. So. I love the term condemning. So, uh, so I, <laughs> So I did the corporate thing for two and a half years and same thing. I loved it. Like absolutely loved it, but it wasn't a, you know, F the boss, F this company in any way. Like I am so appreciative of Microsoft and a huge fan. Right. But when I looked and I said, okay, what are the next 10 years look like? Mm. It was, do I want to make an impact by, like you said, jockeying for headcount, uh, rolling up into other leaders, you know, uh, KPIs and OKRs, or do I kind of just want to be able to build, build, build? And I'm used to, all right, here's the challenge. Spin up a team of freelancers. Like you said, if we need core or things, then we'll go full time. But it, it really isn't that different, to be honest. It's about the person, not the, not yeah. the role or the rec. Um, so I love that you call it condemning. And that's, that's, that's that actually is the right mine yeah and and all the conversations would always come back to like okay cool we got we got five wrecks right we got 10 wrecks mm -hmm. and even with the product i built like that was the sign of success was sweet we got the investment to get one wreck and it was like a million dollar plus investment to mm -hmm. get one full-time wreck for yeah. the, basically the cto of the product but so let's dive into because i want to hear the way that you want to work and i also want to hear about the people that you have been talking with, mm -hmm. because I think what's so unique from your case is that I know you have a pool of people that are like asking you like, Hey, Ernie, like, is it real? Right? Like, yeah. what are you actually doing? Should we do this too? Mm -hmm. And you probably have the richest data that in five to 10 years is going to end up in a report somewhere. Yeah. And they're going to say, look at the future. And we're going to say, dude, Ernie had those conversations five years ago. Yeah. But so bring us into your world of the conversations you're having, the people you're meeting and talking to. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I have to hear about this. So, you know, the, the newsletter really kind of started more um, talent focused. So, so I'll kind of start there. <clears throat> um, I think the biggest learning is that the people who want to be fractional, part-time, freelance, whatever you want to call it, let's just say non-traditional, non full-time there's no just one group. I, I think that's the biggest thing, right? Like I talk about parents a lot because I think that that's just like a message that resonates with people. There's like an emotional response and maybe that's the biggest group, but that's not all of it, right? I've talked to people who are like avid rock climbers and they're like really good. It's not just like a hobby. It's like they're like kind of semi-amateur professional and like that's a big part of their life. Certainly have talked to parents. I've gotten um, a lot of uh, close to retirees actually message me. Um, who are just like, I'm not, I don't want to like go to zero, like going to Florida and just being on the beach all day, like doesn't actually sound fun to me. And actually a lot of people struggle with that in retirement, right? Of like, uh, what do I do? Like I was going 120% for 40 years and now I'm going to zero. Like that's kind of weird. Um, I've talked to some people who actually are working a part-time job on top of their full-time job because they're earlier in their career and they actually want to learn more. Right. Um, so there really is a huge wide range of people. And I, and I think that's like the important thing to stress. It's like, you're not just getting any one type of person. It's, it's just as diverse as the full-time uh, talent pool. So I, I think that's one of the biggest learnings. Um, 
And I think too, more kind of appealing to, you know, if you're a business thinking like, should I hire freelancers, whatever, like, um, I, I heard a good snippet from from a friend recently is like, a lot of the people who can go freelance, and who can go it on their own are actually some of the most entrepreneurial, and um, people who can market themselves the best and are really effective, right? If you think about it, like a lot of people are good at being within a structure of a company, they can take, you know, orders, and they can like work within that confines, it takes a whole nother set of skills to do it on your own. Um, and that's sort of like a self, you know, selection bias there, right? A, a positive one. Um, so I, I've no, just talked to a lot of senior people, staff, engineers, managers, marketers, people who have done a couple things for businesses full-time really, really well. And they want to take that playbook and apply it to other companies who are starting to see that movie for the first time. I think that's you know, for both the freelancer marketing themselves and for businesses looking for the right, like that's like the best fit, I think. Um, hey, I helped this company scale from, you know, a hundred million to 200 million with this playbook. I can, your business is in the same industry, seeing the same things. I can help bring those lessons for you and save you a lot of time uh, and a lot of mistakes by bringing those lessons over. Um, seeing a ton of that as well. So that's just like a very broad overview of what I'm seeing. Um, but like I said, it, it's very diverse, but happy to kind of jump into any one of those groups. No, so you hit on a, a word that I want to call out and then there's going to be a supplementary word. And then it might get, we might get kind of geeky to be honest, Ernie, about uh, the, the data component and the, sure. from the tech side. So you brought up the word effective mm -hmm. and it was in the context of these freelancers that you're talking to that are the newer wave and thinking about it, they are able to market themselves and be more entrepreneurial. Now, one of the, one of the problems in that is that, and I'll use my, I'll use my leader hat. I don't want to hire someone that's too focused on themselves instead mm -hmm. of my team. Mm -hmm. Right. But when we need to go far, I want to hire someone that is effective mm. in getting more resources for this team and making sure that how great they are is, is known. And mm. so part of, part of where I think this industry is going now and, and some of the numbers that are already here, right? So there's 36.1 million freelancers in the U S alone projected to be over half the workforce in five years. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at freelancers over half are looked at as high skilled knowledge work. And so the current numbers are great, right? Like we don't, nothing needs to change there, but the numbers that aren't seen yet, I think are these more leadership style freelancers mm -hmm. that can easily manage teams of 50 to even 500 people mm -hmm. and literally do what a director and VP would do. And I was meeting with a, a guy named Adrian Tan in Singapore, who's a fractional CMO. Yep. He has three clients on retainer and he literally is a VP meeting once every two weeks with the team, having one-on-ones, making sure that they have the right strategic directives, making sure that the OKR framework looks good. And to me, I'm like, he looks no different than a VP. The only difference is he's getting promoted based off of impact, not the fact that he's there and is going to stuck being there because he's so expensive to get rid of, right? Yeah. So I love that point. The second thing though, related to how broad this group is, so there's kind of a couple webs that you and I are going to be talking about forever. One of the webs is what words should we be using? Because mm -hmm. freelancer, does it fit everything? Should we say fractional? Should we say part-time, right? Yep. It's so yep. different. Um, should we say independent? But what I want to call out, and you let me know if I'm way in left field about this, is what's different about the freelance economy is that there is standardized data that allows you to find the right people in a much more efficient way, specifically data, like just simple tagging data around years of experience, skill sets that you have, and then the tag within the industry and companies. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at a um, marketplace yesterday that sent over some candidates and they had percent of matching and it was like hundred percent, 96%, 83%. But I mean, that technology right there to me cuts through the finding the good people that aren't looking for work. Mm -hmm. So do you see a connection in that technically the freelance economy is so broad, yeah. but we're starting to see standardized data sets that makes it effective to find the perfect person. Yeah. I, 
I, I think it's sort of like a yes and no. Uh, and, and here's what I mean by that. Um, for sure, I'm seeing like, like you, I'm seeing a, a ton of these marketplaces and you can get really specific, right? Like I need a CMO who has been at a thousand plus person SaaS company um, and, you know, does a ton of inbound marketing or whatever. And, and you can find those things. So I think that is hugely important. I think the part that still feels like a little less cracked is just the fact that I think when people go to um, freelancers, contracts, whatever, more than full-time, they, they really want that warm lead. That That's just kind of what I've seen. Like, obviously, you always want a warm intro or referral, that kind of a thing. But it feels like for you know if it's going to be a shorter engagement, not that freelancing even has to be a shorter engagement, but people want just that that kind of credibility. And so I think the marketplaces that do really well either are going to gain more of that network effect or find a way to make that credibility sort of baked in or through a network that's established, something like that. Um, and you know, like like we you know kind of preaching to the choir, like it's not any that much different than hiring full time in terms of like. How much credibility do you need? And like, what kind of vetting do you want to do? But because it's just less likely that you're going to post a rec for something that's freelancer contract, it, it sort of kind of happens a little more in the shadows sometimes. It, it sort of becomes more of like a word of mouth networking game. And so, you know, part of what I'm trying to do, and, and I'm sure you as well, is like, how do we make this just more of the, the thing? It's, it's just another tool on the shelf you, you grab just like any other role um, so that that doesn't have to be the case. Um and, you know, and, and I'm not saying that people aren't going to want warm intros, like we're humans and that's going to be the case and that's fine. Um, but how do we, you know, normalize that and make that easier and more accessible to more people? So you hit on such an important piece that um, so for those listening to we're, we're really diving deep into what gets a company and a leader to actually adopt hiring part-time people. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those, like, you know, people like my side, I wake up every day and think how to get a company to spend a hundred million dollars on freelancers mm -hmm. annually. That there's two angles of this. There's the supply and the demand, right? Yep. But so what you're hitting on the demand side of actually unlocking this budget, it's that whether it's freelancers or full-time warm leads are always the best of mm -hmm. right and we kind of try to compensate for it by having interview rounds and all these things but the reality is if i say ernie do you have a designer like i like working with ernie if yep. ernie has a designer i'll probably like working with them it's collaborative filtering from amazon so how they, how they do their recommendations but uh so and i'll just give you some quick data yeah so an enterprise that spent around 40 million dollars on freelancers guess what the number one way that they found a freelancer was 40 million on freelancers mm -hmm. annually You're putting me on the spot but i'm just gonna say referrals <laughs> even even better they would they would hear from a colleague about a presentation a developer and they would walk to the office and say hey didn't you know how'd you get this deck done can i work with that freelancer. Mm. And this is how also kind of early the industry is that person would just extend the contract rather than even going and creating a job rec or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So instead of the freelancer working, you know, 10 hours a week for this one person, they now work 20 hours a week for this one person, but really it was three other people mm. wanting to access. Right. Yeah. So you, you nailed it. What, what do you think? Cause I, part of me feels like when everyone asks me like, why do people freelance and why do people work part time? I just say it makes sense, right? I, mm -hmm. I kind of struggle to to really talk about the benefits because I feel yeah. like it turns into like a Tim Ferriss thought leadership book where it's <laughs> yeah, like yeah. someone yelling, right? Like yeah, yeah. flexibility, freedom. Uh, what do you think the drawbacks are? Like why shouldn't someone do this? Definitely. Um, actually, before I answer that, I actually wanted to touch on something you mentioned before of just like yeah. unlocking the budgets from the companies. I heard something that was really good uh, from someone running one of these marketplaces. Um, a lot of times where they find business and companies willing to kind of open that budget and look off the beaten path, off the full-time path is when leaders come to their VCs or whatever and they say, here's our problem. Any ideas on how to solve it? So they didn't come from it as, Hey, we need a CMO. They said, no, Hey, we're struggling with our lead gen. And they know your context. Like, Oh, actually this person 
they're already working for another company, but they do consulting engagements. They know this exact problem space. They could give you five hours a week, right? Like, so that is where they see a lot of the companies that are open to just talking about their problems, right? And if you really think about it, that, that's how you should be as a business leader anyway, right? You shouldn't come out, you, you don't come at problems with the solution. You come with the problem and the context, and then you find the tools and the solutions that match that domain. And so I think that is one of the keys. And I think that was a really important nugget to kind of, um, yeah, unlocking more of this economy. Do we have leaders really thinking about problems rather than solutions? Um, Anyways, to, to get back to your actual question of- No, Ernie, uh, that's a great, I, I want to make sure you call that out again. Yeah. Like that is a really great point because one of the benefits of freelancers is that, and I don't, I don't know a word we should use, Ernie, to be honest, but like mm -hmm. one of the defining characteristics is that people that work this way get really good at quantifying what they do mm. and the specific impact that they can create. Yeah. And so- if you go and you find someone at, you know, a Microsoft, I'm not too sure about HubSpot, but a Microsoft or Google, they'll say, I'm a L2 engineer, mm -hmm. right? I'm a, uh, I forget the, the, the Amazon one, but it's like, I'm a level 68, yeah. uh, product manager, which I, I think that's what I was. Level mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> but so you ask them that, right. And they're like, what do you do? And they have like a laundry list of responsibilities that they might have have. And we all know the advice you collaborated with, you liaisoned, you spearheaded, like right. we all know the words generated creative. Yeah. But the reality is no, what did you actually do? Yeah. Did you, you know, increase SEO engagement by X percent by doing this? Did you, so I really want to call that out. That is the, one of the best benefits of working with freelancers is that yeah. they, understand what they can deliver better than anyone. Yeah. And most likely they'll tell you why you're not a good client before you tell them why they're not good. And you're constantly, you're, you're basically constantly interviewing and iterating on your own brand product and skills. Right. And you know, full time, <clears throat> there is a full, like kind of a sunk cost fallacy that a lot of companies have. Right. And we know, and I, I say this kind of gently, like companies are bad at firing too. Right. Like uh, we've all worked with someone who, maybe did good work at the beginning and then they kind of tailed off. Right. Uh, or, you know, manager's yeah. not working with them all. And as a contractor, it's like, it's, you know, for better, or for worse, it's easier to kind of cut bait. There, there's less of that, you know, feeling of like, we spent all this time on it. Like, and, but that's, that's also a good thing where someone's constantly proving themselves. And like you said before, like it's about effectiveness, it's about impact. Right. Yeah. So, you know, certainly that can kind of go both ways, but I, I think for companies, it's, it's like actually a really good thing. So. Yeah. No, I, I love it. So, okay. Let's hit on, unless you have, if there's, if there's any other open things, I really want to hear from you the bad yeah. of this. I think, um, in some ways it, and everything's like a trade-off. So I, I love that you call it out. And, and when I talk about part-time work, I'm never like, this is, this is the cure all right. The, yeah. We're all perfect now. Like, you know, this is going to be the end of work. Like, this is how we do it. Um, it's harder in a lot of ways, right? Cause you are essentially a business, right? Um, maybe if you're doing part-time for an employer as W2 or 10-9, what, like that's a little different, but as a freelancer contractor, you are essentially a business. And so all those things I described about you're constantly iterating, you're reinventing yourself, like you're working on your own positioning, whether you're a marketer or not, like that's hard. And that takes mental capacity. Um, so like I wake up every morning, like uh, I'm not doing consulting engagement right now, but I might pick up another one and I'm working on my newsletter. It's like every day you're kind of figuring out what's next. When, when you're at a company, it's like, it's a little bit easier. The, the kind of to-do list kind of makes itself. If you're, if you're not comfortable with that sort of ambiguity and like, Hey, I actually need to self-lead and figure out what the path is. Like this path is probably not for you. Um, you need to kind of be entrepreneurial and you need to be willing to say, to a company like, no, 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 this is not actually what you need or what you're asking me to do is not what I'm good at, or it's not actually going to help you. Right. You need to be able to do that and speak up. Um, if that's not you, that that's okay. But then maybe this path isn't for you. And for me, um, I enjoy doing those things, but it takes a lot more mental energy in, in a different way. Um, I can't just clock in and clock out, know my to-do list and work through it. Um, there is kind of that background task always running of like, okay, am I meeting the goals of this thing? Like, 
<clears throat> am I even doing the right thing? And then of course, a, another component of it is, is the income, right? Uh, it's not, it's not as regular. And I don't want to say it's less because actually a lot of contractors make a way more, uh, whether on absolute terms or pro rata, like they make a lot more, um, but it's not as steady, right? When I was at HubSpot, steady paycheck for eight years, always new, twice a month it's coming in. Consultant, it's like, okay, I got to figure this out. I got to negotiate it. Like you're, you're constantly redoing that. So that's that's not for everybody. It's not as steady and you're just constantly figuring things out each day. For me, I enjoy that. I feel like a little bit scatterbrained and hectic, but it's fun because that's how my brain works. To give you a counterexample, my wife, she's an engineer. She works at one of these big tech companies you may have heard of. Um, she is a complete opposite of me. Doesn't have an entrepreneurial bone in her body. She likes clocking and clocking out and she's really good at what she does. And that's totally fine. Um, so you, you got to kind of figure out what works for you. But for me, the, the, the hard part is definitely like it's not steady income. I think I could get it to be more steady if I <clears throat> was kind of put under the gun. Um, but yeah, it, it's the constantly reinventing yourself. And there is definitely some <clears throat> feelings of self-doubt that a lot of people encounter. Uh, I definitely have it at times of like, am I doing the right thing? Like most people just get a full-time job. I, I could do that. Should I just go do that? Um, but I think I've gone through it long enough that I'm like, no, I, I feel pretty confident in my path. And uh, I, I like the way I'm going. Um, this is all going, so. Do you think that, and I don't know if I want to use the word entrepreneurial need or if I want to use the word feast and famine <laughs> or maybe unpredictable, right? Yeah. Um, but do you think that that, right, that kind of like it's all you, mm -hmm. do you think that that is a bug or a feature of the freelance economy? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's both, right? Um, <clears throat> I think, yeah, like – because you have to do those things, it makes you more hungry and it makes you, like it said, like you said, you got to reinvent yourself. You got to know what your value is and you got to articulate that every single time. Um, so on the one hand, that's, that's really good. That makes, that makes me sharper as I do it. It makes, it makes sure the companies get something better, but it's hard. It, that is one of the big barriers for people wanting to go this path. Everyone asks me like, Hey, what about healthcare? Uh, it's not steady income. Mm -hmm. I need that, right? Like I, I jumped into this sort of haphazardly from a kind of privileged place where I knew I had, uh, you know, finances were stable, so I could take some time to figure it out. That's obviously not the case for everybody. So in that sense, it's kind of a bug. But is it like a you know a positive selection filter where like you kind of need to be able to be okay with this to survive in this kind of a way? Yeah, it, it kind of goes both ways. I think. You know what? Uh, so, <laughs> so I, one one defining feature of like this this podcast and just in general is we kind of we get straight to the like the core of like we're very authentic. Or I don't know the word to use transparent maybe. Yeah. But so what, so what I'm going to tell you is like, oh man, this is really dumb. Um, but so I had you know I've been freelancing for ten years and I started a company called Venturel for two years, made like 120 bucks. And then was like back into, okay, sweet. Let's, or not sweet, but like, let's, let's go back to freelancing, make some money. Yeah. And I don't say back to, but you know, yeah. bump it up. And so I, uh, I got hit with a $50,000 tax bill. And like, that's <laughs> not yeah. something that happens in full-time employment. Cause yeah. when I had a W2, I just clicked max out and then come refund season, I usually had a free yeah. trip or something, but now this time uh, I had a bit of a bite for sure. But I didn't even mention all the back office stuff. And yeah, that's, that's no, no. Yeah. if you're, if you're not taking 30% out of each invoice, then have fun, yeah. have fun yeah. next tech season. Yep. Um, and the fact that you probably should have an LLC or mm -hmm. some sort of incorporation status yep. as well as business insurance for certain enterprises. But so here's one of the questions I want to ask you is, because a lot of the listeners are, are going to be, you know, founders or executives within marketplaces as well. And they're thinking to themselves, yeah. am I, you know, should I even exist? Um, what is the purpose of us? And yeah. it's kind of a constant debate of, do we need marketplaces? I personally think that we absolutely do. And I think they serve a really good purpose um, yeah. as long as the incentives are aligned. But so I'm going to challenge you to think that that this feast and famine and this entrepreneurial side mm -hmm. is a bug. Okay. I, I don't think it's a feature, yep. but what I need you to tell me yeah. is, 
if it was just a bug and a marketplace could fill the void and enable your, you know, your wife to be a freelancer, right. what would a marketplace have to do to yeah. get your wife to freelance? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and something I think I've definitely been thinking about, maybe not in the context of my wife, because uh, she needs to bring in that paycheck right now, but uh, <laughs> um, no, she's a healthcare. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great question. And I think, you know, as you're talking, what I was really thinking about, you know, that original question you asked me of like, you know, what are the downsides? Um, what it actually made me think about is like, what is, what are the real trade-offs when we say we want to do W2, you know, in the US, like standard full-time work versus freelancing? And by working full-time, I would actually say it's actually, it's, it's easier, right? In, in the sense yeah. of like, if you can get the job and interview and do all those things, the paycheck is sort of guaranteed. Even if you're like, honestly, usually a sub performer, like you'll probably still have your job. Um, you get healthcare, you get benefits. You don't have to think about the paycheck. You don't have to think about the taxes outside of filling out your withholding at the beginning of the year. Um, all those things are taken care of you. You just think about the work, right? And you don't have to think about, unless you're a sales rep, which it's, it's the, by definition your job, like you don't have to think about where the money is coming from. That's the biggest thing. So to answer your question, it's like, okay, that's the, tr that's really the thing you're getting out of full-time employment. And that's obviously all great things. Most people want that. The marketplaces have to be able to basically fulfill most of those needs so that people don't have to think about it. And obviously like the lead gen, the business, the biz dev is the biggest thing, right? Like where are these companies going to find the business? So I think that's really I mean, that's kind of the crux of it. It sounds really simplistic, but it's like, where's the money coming from the business? Um, it's that uncertainty that makes the feast or famine the bug, right? If you knew in a marketplace, like, hey, I can get a gig whenever I want to, and that was inverted, then a lot more people would do it, right? So I think that's really the biggest thing. Can you take those best benefits of standard full-time work and bring them into those kinds of marketplaces? Like, then I think you see a lot more people coming to it. It's going to be hard. And, and I have a lot, and maybe we can dive into that. I have a lot of thoughts on like which marketplaces are going to do well and why, but um, yeah, that you got to kind of fill that need and give people that steady, um, that, that, that kind of, you know, steady paycheck and, and business and handle all the back office and all that nonsense. So keep going. What, what marketplaces do you think are, are well positioned for the future? Yeah, that's a great question. Do, I, to be honest, I'm not sure which ones are going to succeed yet. And I think it's too early, but it's a complicated question and I'm not dodging it because it depends on what type of business they're trying to grow. I'm big on this concept. Um, and so just so you know how my brain works, because I'm writing a newsletter, I think in terms of headlines and I think in terms of articles I can write and, and kind of ideas. One of these ideas I have is really around, you know, we talk in startups a lot about product market fit, PMF. What we really should talk more about is product market founder funding fit, <laughs> PMFFF, <laughs> right? I don't know if someone's already come up with that, but I'm, I'm trademarking that right now. So what I mean by that is I think there could be thousands of small marketplaces in different niches started by you, by me, 10-person companies that fulfill a very specific niche in a certain locale, a specific type of role, specific type of vertical, and they can do well because they have the lead gen and the distribution. If you're a five, 10 person company, if you use freelancers, you contractors, you're smart, you're dynamic in how you scale up and down your lead gen, you could get, I don't know, 20, 20 contracts a month and you could be a successful business. There's also a lot of these other businesses now, there's a team continuum, uh, some of these other bigger marketplaces that have raised venture capital. The questions I always ask them is how do you justify your funding? Like how do you become a venture scale business? I think for them, it's going to be a lot harder, but I'm glad they exist because it, it puts it more on the map, but they need to get to a much bigger scale and they need to take, they need to have this greater network effect. So I, I don't know who, I, I think the smaller ones have a greater chance of succeeding for themselves as a business. The bigger ones have a greater potential impact on the market as a whole. Um, we'll, we'll see kind of how that shakes out. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, it's lead gen, it's biz dev, it's networking, and it's how much visibility do you have at the right time when companies have these problems they need solved. And the actual, the best solution is actually this fractional leader or 
contractor or whatever. That no, you bring up such a good point. And and I would add to that what we've been seeing in the past six months is consolidation. Mm. And not even like increased consolidation, like starting of consolidation. Because for the past five years, or more past three years, a lot of the newer marketplaces, and I'm also counting the like freelancer operating systems and freelancer back office solutions, like yep. a Contra or a Lethos, mm-hmm. a lot of them were built with member I'll I'll never forget being part of a, a venture backed rocket ship. This is in twenty sixteen. And all the common sense, and I was like a conservative Boston boy, right? That was like, save your money, make sure you always have enough cash. Like, yeah. so this was just mind warping. I'll never forget being like, why are we spending this much on an offsite? And literally the answer yeah. was, no one's looking at expenses. It's all just growth. As oh, yeah. long as there's oh, yeah. top line yep. above 30%, grow, baby, grow, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's been a lot of marketplaces built off of grow, baby, grow. Yep. And a lot of the money is coming from people that don't actually understand the space, which is not their fault. It's just such a new space. And so the pitch for the past three years was look at how quickly we can acquire freelancers Mm -hmm. with a very, very small CAC to LTV ratio. The problem was that if you've been in the space for a while, you know, getting freelancers is the easy part. Yes. Actually scaling client operations Mm -hmm. is the tough part. And then, so you say things like, Hey, we're going to have good tech clients don't use the tech. And so no marketplaces actually use their tech unless it's for the internal augmentation of their account management function. And so you end up in this, we've been in this space now where it's the marketplaces that have really, really, really good talent strategies are what you're talking about. So G2I is the best for JavaScript developers. Mm -hmm. Power is the best for finance and accounting. Um, There's these really good niche marketplaces. But uh, we're, how are we going to get their next level of growth? Yeah. And so we're seeing a lot of consolidation of, say, the best you know, German developers yeah. uh, getting acquired by larger. So, man, we could talk for hours about this yeah, one yeah. thing. And I just love that you call out the, the founder funding angle of it because yeah. everyone bitches at venture capitalists. But unless you've actually raised a venture round, <laughs> like you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you just you can't relate. Yeah, yeah. So it's crazy. But so listen, we got... We got five more minutes. I just, I want to give it over to you. And we usually don't do this to be honest, Ernie. Mm -hmm. I want to give it over to you to just kind of whatever topic you want to use to just talk. And honestly, you can talk about why you care so much about this space, where you see it going. Like, I just want to give you the next five minutes and I'm just going to shut up. (laughs) Oh boy. Uh, Okay. Now I'm going to get political. (laughs) Dude, that was perfect. Ryan, don't cut this out. Ernie's mic has just been lost after he said, now we're getting political. And he's and he's struggling to figure there it out. Better? Oh, man. Dude, that was <laughs> that was so spot on. Okay, Self-sensing. we're going to get political. <laughs> <laughs> I think I hit my mute button and unlock this. Um, yeah, let, let me start kind of from the personal and then I can kind of expand more to like the business. But, you know, the reason I started part-time tech this newsletter just exploring part-time work in tech like yes because it's cool i think a lot of people want to do it i want to do it but for me uh from the personal angle as as like just a human being and the human race like i know i truly don't identify with my work right like yes i like doing good work i enjoy working i like being accomplished making money doing things but i know that people are more than their work and, you know, it's almost like a movie trope where you see, like, um, you, you know, the movie Elf, where the dad, like, you know, mean to buddy <laughs> yeah. the elf, and then, like, he's working too much, and then eventually he realizes how to, like, spread Christmas cheer and, like, spend time with... It's like, wh- why do we have to, like, we know this trope, but, like, why do we have to wait till we're, like, 65 and, like, ready to retire to, like, realize these things? Like, life is more than just work. It's, yes... We need to work. It's a necessity and we should do great things with our work. But like we care about our families. We want to volunteer. We want to enjoy our hobbies, right? It's more than just that grind. So that's where I come from it on the personal angle. And, you know, especially for the, the parent and family angle. Um, beyond that, I, I think the biggest thing and the, the biggest barrier to this 
I think, you know, there's a lot of tactical and strategic and whatever like barriers, but the biggest barrier to this becoming more mainstream is really just status quo. Business leaders are followers by nature. And especially if you look at Silicon Valley and tech, like, yes, there's innovation that happens, but we're just followers, right? Like the way we build companies is like, you know, some, some tech historian is going to, you know, refute me on this, but it's like, if you think about like Google came and changed the game 20 years ago, right? I was like, Hey, software, building software is not like in the tech and office space. It's actually like, we got, we have ball pits. We are going to give you good food. Like you're going to actually enjoy coming in. And that was huge. Like think about how much better the quality of life is in a company now than it was in the nineties for like a white collar, like cubicle monkey. Right. We're seeing that next wave now. And the companies that adapt and can see the future and realize, hey, it's actually here now, and it got accelerated like crazy because of this black swan pandemic, are the ones that are going to do really well. I actually, you know, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Meta, the company, but I'm actually a huge fan of Mark Zuckerberg. And if you read his year of efficiency post, he's basically saying, we're bloated. We had a bunch of people build kingdoms and we got distracted, right? Companies that can realize this are the ones that are going to succeed in this next decade or whatever, and that can fight the status quo and realize the way we build companies is different. We're not in zero interest rate environment anymore. Like we don't top line, like you said, top line revenue growth is not the only marker. Efficiency matters. And the best talent, a lot of the best talent is not, they're not on the market for full time. So I just see like, for me, I see it so clearly this convergence of all these things in the macro, in the micro, and in personal stories, I just don't see how it doesn't become a, a much, much bigger thing. And I would, in my call out, you know, like you said, it's all, we're constrained on the demand side, right? Uh, in, in this market. So my call out to anybody listening is like, be bold, think a little bit differently, right? Like stick your neck out there and like, is an augmented workforce or contractors, like some of these great fractionally, like, is that the way to go? It might be. Um, so yeah, I won't go into my political rants, but that's my other rant. <laughs> <laughs> no, because then because then your microphone will turn off, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. It, unfortunately, I wish you could. Um, but uh, okay, listen. So now we have rocket round, and uh, you got less than seventeen seconds for each question. Ooh, okay. So first question is: How many stoplights are in your small town? Forty-five. Wow. Okay, it's not that's that small. awesome. It's a normal suburb. Oh man. Okay. Uh, favorite, favorite coffee shop or bar or restaurant, uh, where you are. Yeah. I'm 20 minutes outside of Princeton university. So there's this great new coffee shop called Maman. Uh, I love it. That sounds awesome. Okay. Uh, favorite show that you're currently watching. Ooh, uh, I've, I'm on my fourth rerun of this show called psych. It's like a comedic, uh, murder mystery solving show. So, <sighs> okay. Favorite book. Favorite book, probably, I guess I have to say the Bible. Nice. I love it. And then, um, okay, most important question by far is favorite animal and why? Dog. I've always what, had dogs. What kind? Any specific kind? Um, I've had I've had um, poodle mixes. I've had mini schnauzers. But right now, our dog, she's a pit, pit bull mix. So right now, I got to say pit bull. Oh, oh, my God. Okay, Ernie, th- where can people find you? Yeah, uh, parttimetech.io is where you can find the newsletter, the archives. Um, I also uh, ramble a lot on LinkedIn, so you can just find me there, Ernie Park. Um, and I'm on Twitter too. EI Perfect. Park, yeah, on Twitter. Ernie, thank you so much for hopping on. Thank you, Matt.